reflecting on a spiritual you know, perspective, uh, God doesn't too often call, call his followers adults. He calls us mostly children, children of God. And so we never really grow out of the, the necessity to learn, to walk by faith, and to trust in him, not ourselves. And, and you can see that so evident in children needing to depend upon their parents and uh, their teachers and those around them. And that's, uh, that's that picture of what our relationship with God ought to be at. We're always in that position of needing to depend upon him, rely upon him, and trust in his wisdom above our own. Well, this morning we uh, continue our series in the book of Luke, and so if you have a Bible around you, uh, turn to Luke chapter 5, and if not, uh, you can listen on as uh, we share from God's Word as uh, our children will be going to children's church at this time. But what I want to talk about this morning is, is the truth about what's most important. Uh, but before we do that, I want to talk about something important because uh, I hope you realize that the Word of God is inerrant, but your pastor isn't. And uh, I was uh, looking over the uh, outline this morning uh, for your Bible study this week, sermon-based Bible study, and I, I noted I, I wrote the wrong reference. And the reason I re-looked it up, I often, when I proofread, uh, assuming that I did make any errors, I don't really look at the text quite as carefully as I should. But I was thinking about on this morning, this is one of the hated mornings for pastors, because whenever you set the clock ahead, you're anticipating some people are not going to set the clock wet ahead. So uh, that's one of those things. And if it comes out on a foggy day, then you're, it's kind of a double down uh, type of thing where it could be discouraging for people to get on church on time. But I was thinking about, uh, even as Matt, uh, Mark was uh, sharing in the beginning of the service, um, uh, as you think about the Christian life, sometimes we just need to be brutally honest with ourselves and obviously brutally honest with God. And if I were to have an open confession time, there are certain verses in the Bible I just wish weren't there. Have you ever, if you read the Bible carefully, there's some things you would just like to kind of mark out or erase or whatever because you don't mind applying to somebody else, but you don't want it to apply it to yourself. Well, there is a passage, and actually I wrote it wrong in your um, outline for this week in the Bible study part, but, but let me read you Proverbs 27, 14, which I just wish wasn't there and it's kind of an opening question for you this week uh, even if you do it on your own it's what what do you like to do when you begin each day you know how do, how do you like to start your day well there's there's a verse in Proverbs 27 that says this he who blesses his friend or family member or his wife with a loud voice early in the morning it will be reckoned a curse to him I have to admit to you that every, every morning when I wake a little bit earlier than my wife, my first thought is, i got to wake her up. This is the beginning of the day. But I've discovered uh, over decades of being married that she's not a morning person. And I would just, I, I feel it's my responsibility to make her a morning person. But this verse doesn't seem to give me the, the freedom to do that. So if you're a morning person, you, you have to resist the temptation to get everybody up going with uh, enthusiasm and excitement for the day because they're, they're getting a few more winks in before they get the day started. Uh, I think it's important to begin the day with enthusiasm, um, but that may not be the most important thing for everybody. But we're going to talk about that this day as we think about what's most important. Let's uh, look over in prayer. Father, we do pray as we get together you might just help us to take this simple a question, what's really important, and help it to apply to each one of us. And it will apply in different ways this morning, but uh, the substance of it really uh, touches down on every person's life, no matter what their age is, no matter what they're going through, 
uh, no matter what uh, has happened or will happen, uh, it is really critical to know what's, what's important uh, and just kind of have those as barometers for uh, how we live our lives. Help us to see that this morning. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I was, uh, I was uh, looking at a Charles Schultz Peanuts cartoon the other day, and it, uh, it went something like this. If you're familiar with that, you have you know, Charlie and Lucy, and they're often kind of ba- uh, going back and forth at each other. And Lucy likes to be an amateur philosopher, psychologist. And, and, and she had this conversation with Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown, she begins, life is a lot like a deck chair. Some places to see where they've been, and some so they can see where they are going. To which Charlie sighs and responds, I can't even get my chair unfolded. <laughs> you know, and sometimes that describes how we are. You know, we're, we're, we're looking at priorities, what's really important, uh, what we ought to be conquering today, and man, we can't even get started. And that's just the, the honest place where we find ourselves in at times. We're just struggling. And, and to help our struggling, we got to figure out if, if I am struggling, I might as well struggle about what's important. And as we go through the series in the, the Gospel of Luke, which we've kind of summarized as knowing the truth about Jesus, and it's motivated by Luke's comment as he begins this Gospel. He says, I, I want you to know the exact truth about the things you've been taught or heard about Jesus. And we don't want to hear that which not, is not true about Jesus. We want to know what is true about Jesus. And when you find out what is true about Jesus, you really discover that the Christian life can be summarized as simply as this. It's all about getting excited about who Jesus really is and what he's done and has promised to do. And we get pictures of that as, as we see what he's done in the past. And if he's done in the past, we can be convinced he can do it in the present and in the future. And so you see Jesus involved in people's lives. Uh, on an individual basis, and we saw that last week as he encounters Peter and, and just speaks right into his life, or as he speaks to the multitudes or a smaller crowd. He, he speaks to people who are his regular companions. He speaks to people who kind of come up, you know, in an emergency situation, and he, he begins to, to treat them as important. And, and in it, we really see what's really on the heart of God. And above all other things, what's on the heart of God is, is people. And not just the masses. And so often we want to solve everybody's problem. And we get so frustrated about solving everybody's problem, we're not concerned about the problems in an individual close to us that we can be a source of encouragement or help. Well, well Jesus, in the midst of always being busy, and isn't that, the, isn't that the challenge of living in Orange County? We're always busy. I mean, everyone is busy. And it's, it's not wrong to be busy, but it is wrong to be too busy. And, and we all have issues related to our time, but it, the real question is, are, are we using our time in the right way, in the most important way? So, so here we have Jesus experiencing this and kind of illustrating to us what's really important. And just in case I spend too much time on one point and don't get to the other points, let me just give it to you today, okay? What's really important? It's knowing what to go after, what to really seek. That's the word I used in your text this morning. It's really what do you really want. And this morning, what I want to kind of summarize it is in this way. What's really important is this. Seeking, and I'm going to use some spiritual language here for a moment, speaking help for spiritual sickness. Seeking help for spiritual sickness. Secondly, seeking time alone with God. 
So often we don't spend time with people we should spend time with in, it's because we get too busy. But if it's really important, we'll make time. And, and if God is really important to us, we'll seek time to be alone with God, particularly our Heavenly Father. And then thirdly, if, if we really believe this Jesus thing is what's really important in life, we will seek to help people to come to Jesus. Well, let, let's look at that as it's illustrated in the life of Jesus. As he encounters an individual, and then he encounters some other individuals, uh, and just illustrates about what is really important. Luke chapter 5, beginning with verse 12. We're going to camp the first part of verse 12 for a moment and then, then go on. While he, this is Jesus, was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. Now, just stopping here for a moment. If you were covered with leprosy, and we don't really visualize leprosy too often. There's there an island in the Hawaiian Islands that's dedicated to those who have experienced leprosy. But leprosy was that which would, would cover a, a person's body from the sole of their feet to the hairs on their head, if they still had any hair left. And it was basically, the body would be overwhelmed if you had a... a full experience leprosy where there'd be just rashes everywhere skin ulcerations and a, a person like this was just overwhelmed by what was happening in his body or her body and in particularly that day it was even magnified because of of what the Old Testament had said about a person who contracted leprosy. And I have, it, I have the cross-references in your outline this morning, not the main text. But in Le Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 and 46, we have these words. As for the leper who has the infection. And so here's a person who has disease. His clothes shall be torn, and the hair of his head shall be uncovered, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. For some, that would be all the days they would live on earth. He is unclean. And what was, what was the result of that? He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And we need to realize that not only was he suffering physically, but he was going to be suffering relationally. He was to live apart from anyone in his family or his friendship circle that did not have the same disease. And if this person had it for any length of time, he had now become a hopeless case. Probably people had, if they had a relationship with God, they had stopped praying for him because over decades they had prayed for him and no healing had occurred in that person's life. And whenever, for whatever reason, this person with leprosy would get out in the public uh, he would be shunned to the point where uh, anybody could not even get as close as six feet from them. And if the wind was blowing, which means the, the fear of infection, they had to stay 150 feet away. If somehow they stuck their head in someone's home, that entire home would be unclean. It would have to be ceremoniously cleansed. And, and as people looked at their lives, not only did they look at their lives and say, this person physically is, is just... Is just overwhelming to, to even look upon. But, but there was a, a sense that there was something wrong not only on the outside but also on the inside. Because if people in that day, and if this person was living in 
Israel, they were pretty familiar with the Old Testament. And they realized that there were times when, when God got angry at someone. <laughs> he, would, he would actually demonstrate his anger by giving leprosy to a person. In Numbers chapter 12, you have, you have Miriam, who was the sister of Moses, and she kind of, with Aaron, was kind of haranguing on God's leader, and, and God got angry and gave her leprosy. Uzziah, the same experience. And so not only were you shunned because of the physical condition of your life, because of the, the, the sinful relationship or tie that people thought, the reason you have leprosy because there's something wrong in your life, there's some, some sin that you've committed that has caused this to come upon you. Now, now in the midst of that, if, if, if the leper came to Jesus, and we're going to see this in just a moment, if, if you ask him, what, what's important to you, what would he say? I need to be, I need to be healed. Take, take this leprosy from me. Take it away. But, but I want to submit to you, as important as that is, and God is concerned about everything we go through. And so I don't want you to get to understand when we have issues in our life, whether it be physical or relational, financial, whatever it might be, God, God is concerned about those things. God invites us to pray about everything, and God is able to respond to our prayers. We don't know, always know what His will is. But He does want us to understand, in the midst of all the things that we go through, the, the most important is that which is going on the inside in our relationship with Him. It's not the physical sickness that we need help for. It's the spiritual sickness. And I want us to understand, too, He's not just talking about, if you look at all of the scope of Scripture, He's not just talking about people who've never come into a relationship with Him. But even after we've come in a relationship with Him, God wants us to deal with those things that are sick in our life that are dishonoring to him, that are destructive in our lives. And, and really, this is not a message of, of putting guilt on somebody. This is a message of hope. God is able to deal, wants to deal with anything that's spiritually sick in our lives, that, that are drawing, that is drawing ourselves away from him. And, and, and what I want to submit to you as we look at this, we're going we're gonna to see that the leper got this. The leper got this. Because when he comes to, to Jesus, he doesn't ask him to heal him. He asks him to make him clean. In 1 John 1, 1.9, it says this, if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, you know the amazing truth about being a Christ follower is, is not only can you really be convinced that you're forgiven, but that, that in God's eyes you're clean. That, that he, he doesn't look at you and, and want to turn away because he, he sees you as clean because His blood can forgive us of all of our sins. So, so, so as we come to Jesus and we really understand that our greatest need is to seek help for our spiritual sickness, how, how did the leper do that? Well, let, let's try to see it in the, in the account of this man coming to Jesus. This man is covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him. Sometimes we, we think about our relationship with, with Jesus or with God as something we kind of add to our life. And we all do that to our lives, don't we? If we, if we, want, if we 
have extra time, we'll add a hobby. Okay, I want to start learning how to do this. You know, and, or, or maybe there's a, a language we want to be able to speak, and we go, well, I can maybe some carve out the time, and I can learn to, to speak Spanish and communicate, or, or whatever it may I, I want to learn to play a, an instrument. And you start adding that to your life. And that kind of mentality sometimes is we think that's how it is with God. Well, we'll I, got, I got room for him. I'll just kind of add him to my life. Well, I dare say that the leper didn't, didn't come to Jesus to say, well, can you do something a little bit to, for me? I, I don't want you to, to, to add something to my life. I want you to radically change me. I, I want you to take that which is totally unclean and make it clean. And, and we see that just in the words where it says that he fell on his faith, face and implored him. Uh, maybe in our own language we could say he, he started begging Jesus. And he fell on his face. There aren't too many, too many times in, in our culture where we would ever do that. Where, where somebody, we're in the presence of somebody that we respect or is powerful. Where we just, we just fall, you know, prostrate on the ground and just start kissing the ground. Which literally that word means. In another account of this, it, it says bowing down. It's really the word that's often used for worship. He he just fell and began to worship at the feet of Jesus. And, and he began to, to beg of him that he would do what only he could do. But I would submit to all of us that when we seek help for spiritual sickness, it begins with coming to Jesus in submission. Saying, I can only receive help for my sickness from you. Think about it for a moment. When something goes wrong in, in our lives physically, we'll, we'll go to someone who could help us. And, and some of you are involved in that. I was thinking Randy over here. And I, I'm sure sometimes people come to Randy or, or a doctor or some, um, some individual who, who knows what's wrong and can help the person you know, get off that, that track of, of experiencing pain and, and maybe not being able to function as well. And, and, and they come down initially asking, well, what kind of advice would you give me? And they, and he, he tells them what to do, and then he finds out they don't what? <laughs> they don't do it. And you're thinking, wait a minute. You came to me for help. I can help you, but I can't help you if not willing to, to do what I tell you to do. And sometimes we, we apply that to Jesus. We'll go, okay, I, I want to submit to you as long as I agree with what you're telling me to do. And, and that's, that's not how the leper came to Jesus. He was desperate. He fell on his face. And he said, I am giving myself completely to whatever needs to happen for you to help me with, with what I cannot endure any longer, my leprosy. That's really the idea of the lordship of Jesus. In Romans 10, 9, it says this, that if you confess with the mouth of Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's, it's coming to that point where Jesus is not just someone that uh, will forgive you of your sin, but he's going to the one who's going to lead your life. The, the verse for the month here to, to memorize, in, in Luke 9, 23, and, and he said to them all, this is Jesus, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is how the leper came to Jesus in full submission. But, but you can also see this, that he also came in, in humility. And 
And in that, you can just even see that in what he asked of Jesus and how he asked. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, humility, their point is, is coming to the point, he says, look, I, I know I can't do it, but I know you can. And the only thing that will be determinative about whether you can help me is are you willing to help me? And he came to the point where he realized that he needed help. And that's what humility is. Because that's the other thing. Uh, you know, the, the, the man's disease, okay, is that when, when something goes wrong on us physically, we don't go to the what? We don't go to the doctor. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to get over it on my own, okay? I'll admit to that sin. Okay, is that, you know, I, you know, I, I normally don't want to go to a doctor. I think I'll just give it time and it'll, it'll get over it. The leper had got way beyond that. He probably tried every single way to deal with his leprosy. And now he had come to the point where he was convinced Jesus could. It's just a matter of was he willing. You know, leprosy is a, is a symbol of sin in the Bible. And we need to realize that we're all sinful. For all of us to become like one who is unclean. Again, that idea... Being clean is forgiven by Christ and forgiven by God. Unclean is you're still in your sin. And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf. And all our iniquities, like the wind, can be taken away. So if, if we're really going to get help for our sickness, we've got to come to Jesus in submission. We've got to come to him in humility. And I threw one other text in there. In Job 2, 9 and 10, when Job had everything and he lost everything, uh, humility is realizing that are we only going to take the good things from God or are we willing to go through the difficult things? Then his wife said to him, do you, do you still hold fast your integrity after you had lost everything? Curse God and die. But he, Job, said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And so we've we got to come in submission. We've got to come in humility, realizing that we, we desperately need what God can only do. And, and really, we are unclean. And we've said this numerous times the last couple of weeks. Christ followers ought to be the most humble people in the world. Because we really realize that apart from what Christ can do for us, we have nothing to offer God. And the leper understood that. And then the obvious that you've... You've got to come in faith. He said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And it's interesting in this, he didn't come with any demands. Sometimes, if God, you will do this, then I will do that. He didn't come with demands. He just came in simple faith, trusting that God can do what needs to be done. The Bible says, without faith is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. He's a rewarder of those who seek him. There's a, there's a passage in, in John chapter 8 that, that really is interesting to me. It was a conversation with people who were doubting Jesus. He said, and he was saying to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are this world, I am not of this world. And then he said this, therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. There wasn't any theological debate between the leper and Jesus. And we're going to see a theological debate between people who had been around Jesus even more than this leper. But this leper had come to the point, I really trust you. It's interesting, 
the, the very simple request, if you are willing, you can make me clean, is in the present tense in the original language. It simply means he was saying this repeatedly, repeatedly, begging of Jesus in humility and submission and in trust. You can make me clean. It's just a matter, are you willing? Well, let's, let's read the, the end of this account in the life of Jesus. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing to be cleansed. And just for a moment here, you need to realize that this is not just some contract we're making with God that, that God will just do because it needs to be done. It, it's, it's an act of love. See, a leper in any public setting had to be proclaiming unclean, 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 so no one would come within six foot feet of, de- of, of closeness physically and 150 feet if it was downwind. And you would never touch a person with leprosy. And so Jesus reaches out and touches him. In fact, it's not simply, you know, something like this. You know, sometimes we're not, we're not, we're not sure about something. We'll kind of like back away. And t- no, he, he grabbed hold of him. And, and because the, the, the cleansing, forgiveness power was instantaneously, there was no, un- there were, Jesus wasn't made unclean because you were, you were unclean if you touched a leper because once he touched him, he didn't have any leprosy. But he, but he showed him his love. And we need to understand all of it. This is, this is not a, a cold contract between God and us. It's, it's a contract and a covenant of love where Jesus reaches down and touches the person in need. And then the next phrase is, and immediately the leprosy left him. Now, you could even try to visualize this. This is an amazing thing to have a picture. Here's a man who's covered from head to, to toe with all kinds of ulcerations of the skin. And really how leprosy was, leprosy didn't really eat away the organs or the physical parts of your body, but what it did, it, it numbed you t- to have any sense of feeling. You know what you do with a, a, a child, particularly if you have an electric burner, you, you, you tell them, don't, don't touch the burner because it's what? It's hot. Now, you, touch the, you, you tell them that so that when they touch it, they don't experience the pain of touching a, burn, uh, a burner that's on, Right? But just imagine if your child didn't have any feeling and they put their hand on a red-hot electrical burner. It would scar their hand. Uh, There are reports that when lepers would would sleep at night, sometimes vermin or rats would come and, and they would chew away at their body and they wouldn't even know what was happening because they had no sense of feeling. And so whatever would happen in life, they, they, they wouldn't know they did something destructive. If they broke their leg, they wouldn't know it was broken because they couldn't feel it. If they could see it, they might try to put it in place, but it was somehow a fracture. And so constantly they were their own worst enemies because they couldn't feel anything. And so here's a man who hadn't felt any human touch probably for decades. Now experience the love of God because... God reached down through the love of Jesus and brought him into relationship. Now, interesting, he, he tells the, the leper to do something that he couldn't hold in. He, he goes on, he says, and he, and he ordered him to tell no one but to go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing just as Moses 
commanded as a testimony to them. Which somebody says, I, I want you to go through the eight-day ceremonial thing to show that you really have been cleansed from your leprosy. But, but what happens, but the news about him was spreading even further, and large crowds were gathering to hear about him and to be healed of their sicknesses. So, so the word got out, Jesus can cure leprosy. But what many missed was what was the heart of the leper. The leper knew what was important. And what he sought help for was not his physical sickness, but his spiritual sickness. He wanted to be clean in the eyes of the Savior. So what's important? It's seeking help for spiritual sickness. And I guess the point for each of us is what part of our lives are we saying, you know, if God were to make a diagnosis of our lives, what are some areas you say, you need to clean this up, but not on your own. You need to come to me with it. Be honest about it and let me touch it and make it clean. But there's one other verse here that I want to just focus on just really briefly. In verse 16, we have this. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and what? And pray. Now, if anyone was busy during the days of that first century, uh, who, who would have been a busy man? It would have been Jesus, right? And you get busy, not on your own schedule, but what, about what other people's schedules are, right? They want you. They want you all the time if you can help them. And so crowds came as the story got out, and, and Jesus would slip away. He slipped away even though he was busy, but he wasn't too busy. He, he, he slipped away uh, even though he didn't have time, but he really did have time because you always have time to do that which is important, don't you? If it's really important, to you'll make time. And so Jesus went away from the crowds, and not only crowds, but the 12, and even his closest companions, and he went away to spend time alone with his Heavenly Father. Now, I have a couple other passages. You know, I mentioned earlier that I'm, I'm basically a morning person, and as I progressively have a harder time sleeping, I'm not only a morning person, but I'm a, <laughs> a night person as well. But anyway, is that some people say in, in the religious circles like I run into that, that everyone who's really spiritual will spend time alone with God in the... In the morning. And there's a verse in your, in your outline this morning. It says in Mark 1.35, and I love to quote this to people. And in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus went out and departed to a lonely place and was praying there. So if you really want to be like Jesus, you get up early in the what? Morning. And then you spend time alone with God. Now, the only problem with that, other than, you know, I like to use that with people, is that, you know, Jesus didn't only go in the morning to spend time alone with God. And if you're not a morning person, I would tell you, don't spend time alone with God in the morning because you're not ready to talk with him. You, know, you, you need 10 cups of coffee or whatever it might be. Uh, Jesus did in the morning, but he didn't do it only in the morning. In Luke chapter 4, verse 42, we have this. And when day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place. So Jesus not, not, not only did in the morning, but he also did it sometime during the day. Well, how about us night people? Well, in Matthew 14, 23, we have this. After he sent the crowd away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. So Jesus spent time alone with the Heavenly Father, sometimes in the morning, sometimes during the day, and sometimes during the evening. And, 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 and you know, sometimes I, I and, and there are some good reasons for this. It's good to have a habit. I normally do it in the morning or I normally do it in the day or I normally do it during the evening. 
But sometimes your mornings are not controlled by you and you can't do in the morning. Well, then do it another part of the day. But the, the point is, what's important? It was important to Jesus to spend time alone with his heavenly father, right? And, and you don't have to make it hours and hours and hours, but set aside time where you're just alone with him in the word and, and in prayer. And whether it's in the morning or whether it's in the day or whether it's in the evening, but just make it important. You know, I hope I can even just say it as simply as I'm going to. What I miss most about my dad is spending time. Just talking to him. Because it was important to me. We'll move on. <laughs> All right, what's important? What's important is seeking time along with the Father, and the other was, is speaking, seeking help for spiritual sickness. But I, I want to get one more thing in in four minutes, all right? It's also seeking ways to help people come to Jesus. Look at, uh, look at the next story. Uh, verse 17. One day he, this is Jesus, was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law village, uh, in, um, teachers of the law sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. So there's a, there's a crowd that came around. It was not only those who were seeking help, but there were those who actually were going to try to trip him up, and they were the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, and, and they were there, and, and, the, and the atmosphere was electric. Verse 18. And, and some men were, were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of him. Have you ever been to the Rose Parade? Have you ever been to the Rose Parade? And if you don't get there really early, you're going to be about four rows back. Okay, uh, and, and so they, they had gotten on the rose parade a little bit late, and they go, we can't get, even get close to Jesus. Jesus is in the house, and we're outside the house, and everybody's crowded around. What are we going to do? Well, they get pretty creative, verse 19, but not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with a stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Uh, this is amazing. In Mark, it says the account that these were four men. So they had, had this man on the stretcher. They, they, they're, they're taking him to Jesus, can't get to Jesus. So they said, well, how are we going to get there? Well, they didn't get a ladder get up on top of the roof. Many of the, the homes in Israel, there's an outside stairway. So they went on the outside stairway, got to the top of the, of the roof of the house. And the roof of the house is basically it's a flat roof with kind of timbers in between about two or three feet apart and they would put sticks and then they would put like a it'd be a mud roof and then uh, actually there would be grass that would grow up from the roof and it was about a two feet deep type of roof well what they did is they did some surgery on that roof cut a hole and dropped down uh, their friend which uh, would have been an interesting experience because dirt's coming in and can you imagine the homeowner saying what in the world is someone doing to my house all right and uh, so all this is happening. And then verse 20, an interesting statement. says, seeing their faith, which seems to apply. He's not speaking about particularly the faith of the paralytic, but he's seeing the faith of, of his four friends. He said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. So he looks at his friends. The four brought him down there. And then he turns to the paralytic and said, your sins are forgiven. Now, again, what's really important? If I had not walked for whatever length of time, we don't know if he had not walked from day one 
something wrong with him at birth, or somehow he had had some accident later on in his life. But he could not walk like everybody else walked. Now, if you saw Jesus and heard all the stories of him healing people and dealing with every issue that people had, what would you want? I'd want to be healed. I'd want to be able to walk. Jesus says the exact opposite. I mean, not exact opposite, but he says he points not to the physical sickness, but to the what? The spiritual sickness. He says, your sins are forgiven. Now, if you're a doubter, which is what many of the religious people that day were, the scribes, verse 21, and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Now, the word blasphemy literally just means speak evil. Now, you could, you could commit blasphemy in a number of different ways, but two major ways. One, if you spoke evil of God... If somehow, and people do this all the time, sometimes slip of the tongue, sometimes that's the expression of the heart, you, you attach God's name or Jesus' name with a what? A curse word. That's probably not the most positive way to, to uh, talk to Jesus or God by putting a four-letter word next to his word, right? You know, that's a dishonoring word. That's speaking evil of God by attaching any dishonoring word to him. Now, when we do that, we just... We go to him and admit that's a sin, go on from there. But the greater blasphemy is somehow you saying that you are God, right? If you've raised yourself up to saying, I am as, I am as powerful as God or I am God in the flesh, that there is no greater evil. At. Or you could put it this way. If you would to say to people, you could do what only God could do, that's speaking evil of God because you are bringing him down to your level. Now, so Jesus goes on in this conversation. Uh, verse 22, but Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? He knew what was, what was in their minds. Which is easier to say, your sins have been forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? Now, what is easier to say? Well, it's easier to say, your sins are forgiven, right? Because if I were to say that, how could you test whether what I said was true, right? You know, bless you, my children, all of your sins today are forgiven, you know. How are you going to know if that's true, right? So he says, okay, I'll, I'll put it to the test. I, I will show that I have the power to say that because I'm going to do something only God could do. But so they may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. I'll show you that I can say your sins are forgiven because I'll take a person who cannot walk, who he needed four friends to make a a hole in someone's home to bring him to me. And by their faith, I'm going to do that, which we have no idea how much faith that paralytic had. God is not restricted to our faith to be able to do the miraculous. I mean, think about that. When, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, how much faith did Lazarus have at that moment? Zero. He was dead, right? And so when people sometimes say, well, if, if you just had enough faith, then God would do a miracle. Look at God sometimes restricts what we, he does by, based on our faith, but he's not, he's not handcuffed by how much we believe, right? He can do whatever he wants at any time. And, and so he said, I'm going to show you that I can reach into his life, forgive his sins by giving him the ability to walk. And immediately he got up before them and picking up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And they were all struck with astonishment and began, began glorifying God and they were filled with fear. That's the word phobia in the original language, saying we have seen, I guess so, remarkable things today. Now, for many of them, what they, what they thought was remarkable is, is they heard about a person who had leprosy and he was instantly clean, made clean. He, he who probably only had stubs 
on his, on their, on his hands, they saw fingers grow out of them. They saw a person who had missing toes, and all of a sudden he had toes. A person who possibly had no hair, and all of a sudden he grew hair, and maybe no eyebrows or, or even eyelashes. A person who was covered with ulcerations of the skin, and his, he had pure, pure skin. That's pretty remarkable. They saw a person who could not walk, and all of a sudden he could walk, and they were amazed by it. But what they missed, many, if not most of them, the greatest miracle was a person who was unclean on the inside was made clean. A person who was guilty of his sins was now made unguilty because the God of this universe had forgiven his sins. You know, what do we learn from this story? Just really quickly. If we're really seeking ways to bring people to Jesus, we need to realize our first way is not the only way. They, 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 they thought the way they were going to get their friend to see Jesus, they're going to go through the front door. The front door is what? It was closed. But there was another way. Sometimes we think, you know, our faith doesn't really matter about the person we're trying to bring to people, to Jesus. But our faith does matter. If we really believe in what Jesus do, that's, that's going to have powerful impact. And we need to understand that, that our Savior can save. Well, what's the word to the heart, the head, and the hands today? If we really know what's important, we're seeking help for spiritual sickness. We're seeking time alone with God. If we're seeking ways to bring people to Jesus, then our heart, it will compel us to be caring, won't it? Caring enough about what's important and caring enough about people that will do anything we can to bring people to Jesus. In our head, we're going to be creative. We won't just think, well, I've tried that. Well, then try something else. And then with our hands, we're going to be intentional. We're going to look for times and opportunities. And, and today I'm going to talk, you know, with my neighbor. I had a great conversation yesterday with my, my neighbor. And we talked about Leviticus, you know. It's a longer story. But we got back very simply because everything in Leviticus is about Jesus. So, so just, just understand, there is some truth about what's important. And God wants us to make time for what's important. Let's pray. Father, we just, we just ask that we might just take these these events in the life of Jesus. We call them stories, but they're true stories. Help them really speak into our lives. Help us to live lives that, that just know what's important and live it out. If there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, might they realize that the offer of forgiveness is always there. If we'll come to you in submission and humility and faith, which is simply trust. Trust that you can do what only God can do. Take our sin and forgive it. Help us to live for you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.